service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Charlotte. Hello. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway, the USS Fort Captain Catherine Janeway, the USS Fort Welcome to the greatest generation, Voyager. Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica, fresh from guesting on another podcast. <laughs> yeah, another Star Trek podcast. Yeah. We just recorded an episode of Go Trek Yourself. Is that a Star Trek podcast? It sounded to me like it was just two friends working out their... <laughs> <laughs> disagreements about each other at each other well two guests just kind of listen to what that sounds like <laughs> um i think we did talk about uh paul stamets who's a character on star trek discovery briefly so yeah there was i mean it technically qualifies as a star trek podcast was yeah was what I gathered from the experience. <laughs> and it qualifies as sort of greatest gen adjacent because they like to drink during. As do we. And, uh, and J.K. Woodward is a friend of the pod. He's put uh, oh, yeah. he's put us in several Star Trek comic books. Longtime friend point. of the pod. I've got, I've got Star Trek comic pages right behind me I on my that. wall. I was just unpacking mine. I'm, I'm still unpacking after my move months ago, which uh, is... Very embarrassing. <laughs> as much as we like JK and his work, and I sincerely do, the guy is super talented. Uh, Daryl could do a lot better, I think. <laughs> yeah. With the co Daryl has the dulcet tones. I I really envy his radio voice. Uh, yeah, I don't envy his job, though. Stuck with JK. <laughs> seems like punishment. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we have all thought of our podcasting partners as punishment at one time or another. That's true. Podcast jail. <laughs> no parole. Well, Adam, you're stuck in here with me, and I'm stuck in here with you. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to get into today's episode? Yeah, I do, Ben. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 1, Episode 2. Parallax. Revert course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. <laughs> Lest our viewers forget, uh, we landed on a special square on the Game oh, of Buttholes. Oh, fuck. I totally forgot. Will of the Caretakers. And it appears as though only one of the hosts did the homework. I feel like a total idiot. I thought about it several times in between last week and this week. And you reminded me constantly did i yeah I, not constantly i know you reminded me at least once you were like hey Fuck, don't forget episode two well i don't remember doing that uh clearly my memory is falling apart um well here's the I'm gonna, thing I'm, ben i'm, I'm gonna try and do it on the fly i'm gonna make i'm gonna make hash marks i have a piece of paper here i'm gonna make hash marks i've got i i'm i'm due for five right five tamarian style metaphors you are, and uh, I've got my five, and I can kick off the show with mine, Ben. <laughs> oh, wow. Ben, his shoulders unclenched. Uh, the first Temerian metaphor sets up the opening scene of this episode. Lieutenant Carey, his nose, Marsha Brady'd. <laughs> because this Lieutenant Carey is, uh, is, has got his nose bent out of whack by Bolana Torres, Carrie's got a kind of rakish James Conn, Brian Dennehy quality about him that I really came to enjoy. Yeah, I'd say he's more Conn than Dennehy. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's, and, he's, he doesn't have like the, like, I mean, they're both kind of barrel chested men, but Dennehy is, puts, puts the barrel in barrel chested. I definitely got some uh, Chief O'Brien vibes from this guy. The curly hair, the, yeah. uh, the pale face. <laughs> Those two basically being the only things that remind me of Chief O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. The being a put upon man who is in Six Bay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this isn't a this isn't a holodeck accident. This guy got his his clock cleaned by Bolana Torres. You don't want to follow foul with Bolana Torres. We're learning this. You don't, but she's also created a work environment that is fairly hostile to those around her. <laughs> uh, Specifically hostile to Carrie's face. Do you think that she thought he was a door? This <laughs> <laughs> is just a... She, she, I, she can hide behind the... I'll say the, this. I think she knew what she was doing. Mm, yeah. Have you ever um, broken your nose? I have not. Never done it. God. I. The, the people in my life who have say it's very painful... And yeah, I think uh, I think fun. this guy is is, is portraying that pain. <laughs> Do you think he uh, he asks the EMH for like a little cosmetic upgrade while you know like while it's broken? Like what do we uh, what do we think about like cleaning cleaning the grill up a little bit? Oh man, I would get my septum undeviated. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd get a package deal. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Get in, right? get in there. Get in there with the uh, with the drill bit and really open things up. Do my best. <laughs> get get me out of my once yearly sinus infection, please. That would be great. We've got uh, the EMH and Chakotay and Tuvok here to to deal with this. This is kind of a personnel issue, hence Chakotay, and also a security issue, hence Tuvok. And after they depart Six Bay. Uh, they have a discussion about like what next steps might look like in the hallway, and I, I really like this scene because this is Chicote really like chain of commanding the hell out of Tuvok. Look, Lieutenant, I don't have to explain myself to you. And it is emblematic of a conflict that I think we're going to get throughout the episode and throughout the series, which is like Starfleet's ride for formal justice, yeah. and Maquis' ride for frontier justice, and. And this is the disagreement they're having. W slash R slash T, punishment of Bellana Torres. Yeah, and I think it also does a really great job. Like, I think this is a great Chakotay episode. Like, it's not really his episode, but I feel like the couple of big scenes that Robert Beltran has, he is really making sure you understand what his character is about. And he really does live in that liminal space between Starfleet and Maquis where he is a man of principle. And like when they were in the A quad, that principle meant one thing, but here on this ship, it means something else. There are two unintentionally funny bits of physical comedy in this episode. And one of them occurs here, which is uh, Robert Beltran enters the turbo lift after this interaction turns around dramatically and allows the turbo lift doors to close on <laughs> his face and those doors are like an inch from his face and he doesn't move he plays chicken with these doors in a way that delighted me six bay it's second nose injury <laughs> yeah we see him later with uh, two pieces of toilet paper rolled up and stuck into his nostrils <laughs> yeah and he and he kind of he, he flattens out that kind of that kind of hook toward the bridge yeah you know? 
The uh, the two everybody's getting a nose job on today's episode. <laughs> the two Maquis gossips who run into Chakotay in the next scene are like, "What the hell happened to you?" And, and all he does is he says, "Dramatic effect." Sir, we heard what happened. It's clear that these two Maquis gossips have already taken a tour of the ship the day before and are ready to quote do whatever is necessary uh, <laughs> <laughs> after their conversation with him. Yeah. Uh, Pretty dark suggestion. I love how how hard he brings the portcullis down on them, though. Like, they totally think, like, okay, like, we're just all Maquis and we're looking for our chance to fuck these Starfleets over. And he mm-hmm. is like, that is not what this is. And I do not ride for what you are talking about at all. I think you alluded to this in the last episode, and it is very apparent now because we have so many more characters to see. But... The Maquis wear the bars and the Starfleets wear the pips, right? Like that's an intentional yeah. uniform delineation. I don't like the bars because they're a little harder to see and distinguish in SD, especially like I I kept seeing these characters and being like, can we tell even by looking at that bar what their rank is or just that they are Maquis? If you're going to distinguish them in a negative way via uniform, they should have just shoved all the Maquis in front zips. <laughs> just dumpy front zips for all of them. <laughs> so uncomfortable. Yeah. It does. It is. Uh, it is interesting. I, I, I guess on like uh, on like Navy ships, there are Marines walking around. So there are, it's like not unusual for places where people are wearing uniforms to have different uniforms but i wonder if they give any consideration to like showing a show like having the makeways not fully brought into starfleet and you know like maybe have like a slightly different design to their uniform or something like that i wonder if that's going to be a moment in the show when someone goes from bar to pip Ooh, (laughs) that's when you know they've made the leap Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's like going to a second location right. with your uniform. <laughs> We're really kind of following Chakotay around here because uh, he's got to go visit Torres now, yeah. who answers the door in a fairly <laughs> threatening way. I'm still not in the part of the emotional half-life of whatever event caused her to break that guy's nose that uh, that is in the like trying to make amends phase. Torres is a partner who's okay going to sleep angry. Like, you yeah. can tell. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, like, before she even sees who's coming through the door, she is winging a cereal bowl across the room at it. And um, she's going for the feet. She's not trying to break a, another nose, which uh, is good. This is a scene where we get our first of, I think, four different pronunciations of the name Chicote from Bolana Torres in this episode. <laughs> I did not pick up on that. She really explores the space with, huh. with Chicote's name. <laughs> Chicote. I wonder if, as a Klingon, you are you are pre-primed into assuming an apostrophe in a name where none exists. <laughs> I remember seeing somebody talk about how in TNG when they had like a space word that Mm -hmm. had, you know, there were more than one interpretation on how to pronounce it. It was just whoever said the line with it first got to determine what the pronunciation is. And but that's obviously not a foolproof system. Yeah. And if you need an example, the way they pronounced Bajor 
uh-huh. changes a ton yeah. in between early TNG episodes about it and Deep Space Nine. That's a great example of a show just trying to figure out its own vocabulary as they go. And that maybe is something that's happening here. Yeah. And also, like, early in a Star Trek series, everybody is, like, typically pretty convinced it's about to get canceled. So, like, why even bother learning these pronunciations? (laughs) Right. And, you know, like, when you're doing a film, there is a script supervisor who I feel like is, like, sitting right next to the director, like, making sure that this shit is locked in. I wonder to what extent that is a, that's a concern. In a show. Yeah, or if, or if they're just moving so in fast, it's, it's like, it's hard yeah. to hard to keep track of. Um, I mean, it's like, it's easy to take a Polaroid of somebody in their wardrobe yeah. and check that for continuity. It's much harder to remember how they pronounced a yeah. space word, you know? So Not that Ch- Chakotay is a space word, but... Yeah. Chakotay is here to tell Torres that uh, if she only shaped up and stopped punching people, she could make chief engineer one day. I don't need support from anybody. You are if you're going to be chief engineer of this ship. And I really like the dynamic between them in this scene. It is not paternal. It is not gender man talking down to, to gender woman here. It is totally professional in a fairly healthy way, I yeah. thought. I really liked it, and I liked that she starts this scene in a fuck whoever is coming through that door, fuck you for talking to me, and really, like, he knows how to talk to her. He says the thing about, you know, like, she's she's a, a person with a an explosive temper, and like many people with explosive tempers, does not think in the moment about what that, what her actions are going to mean for other people around her, and... He completely gets that across to her in a way that is not disrespectful or paternalistic. There's a third thing about this scene that isn't here. And I feel like we're talking about positives about the scene because of things that aren't included. But here's mm-hmm. another one. Like if if Robert Beltran doesn't spin this right, he's going to look like he's portraying the character as someone who is trying to place Mayquis in positions of power around the ship that yeah. could suggest that the meeting with those Mayquis earlier uh, may have, like, there may be something to that to come. Totally. But the scene is played so straight that you never get the sense that that the, the true nature of his encouragement of her is about power down the line. This is not another example of my twisted sense of humor. It is so interesting that this is the second episode because I think that it's almost harder to write the second episode to this series than the first because <laughs> the first is just like get us get us into into the situation that the show is about them dealing with. But the second is like, okay, this is the first day that they're in this situation. Like how stressed is everyone? How are people dealing with it? Like like what what goes on and i i kind of wish that there had been a little bit more in the script about like Bolana Torres is is flipping out because she's fucking panicked about the fact that her entire life just went on its ear in a way that she has zero control over and now she has to i mean they talk about it a little bit later like i didn't ever want to be in starfleet and now i'm stuck with you freaks mm-hmm. like uh like i think that's like as close as they get in this episode Brandon Braga wrote this episode interestingly enough. And the reason he didn't write the first was because he was on vacation, I read. 
<laughs> is that true? Yeah, that's a that's a fucking great time to to go on vacation. Wow. He's like, yeah, you know, I was out of town doing vacation shit. That's why, uh, you know, I really had to bring myself up to speed. How'd the pilot go? Uh, have we decided how we're going to pronounce the first officer's name, or is that still kind of up in the air? There's a uh, McLaughlin group in the next scene. Issue one. Uh, that Neelix and Kess are late to. They're late to it because they weren't invited. Your invitation must have gotten lost in the mail. <laughs> very, very embarrassing for them. I feel like they put a lot of thought into this table. Ben, the shape of the table, and uh, not a lot of thought into its height. Did you, <laughs> did you get this? That you're sitting down at the table, and the table is, is like above the nipple. They look like yeah. children sitting at this too tall table. Do you think it's that the table's too tall, the chairs are too short, or that actors all tend to be quite short? Well, if it's the if it's the last one, it's kind of unforgivable. Like, yeah, you, you, you gotta just rescale the room for your little actors. You gotta you gotta pump up the chair. I think <laughs> get yourself in a position of power. This ship is in a pretty fragile situation. Like, they're not only trying to make two crews that naturally hate each other into into a single cohesive unit, but they also. I mean, the bangers, uh, it's hard to overstate how badly the ship is fucked up. Like, they are in in transit trying to fix things about the ship and trying to find energy. They're they're losing the amount. You know, like, the, the it's that uh, horsepower getting to the wheels issue that you deal with in cars, right? If we don't get more power to the warp drive, we're all going to have to get out and push. I love the uh, the triage of their problems is such that like the fourth or fifth bullet point is also we're running out of food. I guess I guess people aren't shitting enough for the replicators. You want to talk about oppression, you should start in your own mess hall. There's a shit shortage on the ship. Well, it all goes back to energy. And I think that the replicators are like a pretty high energy input thing. And they're, mm -hmm. they're so focused on like moving toward the A-quad a as fast as they can that that seems like a, a thing that they can like solve later. It's one of those things like if you're on a long road trip, even a quick stop for lunch feels like it's not just the 20 minutes that you stop for lunch. You're suddenly behind by like an yeah. hour and a half for some reason. These things <laughs> compound. Yeah. So Kess is, uh, she's, you know, she's a cool teen and she's into blowing trees and she wants to get some hydro going down on the lower decks of the ship. Yo, who's on munchies tonight, yo? I've been thinking that you might be able to convert one of your lower decks into a hydroponics bay. And uh, everybody's pretty into that idea. <laughs> Kim and uh, and Torres look at each other like, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't leave the shake weed behind on that caretaker planet. <laughs> yeah. We're taking this one on the road. Torres is like, uh, hey, um, if you could make some indica part of that plan, I feel like that would really help me in particular. <laughs> also, uh Captain, whenever you communicate with anyone, if you could just subtly tell them that we're carrying, uh, that would be, <laughs> I think that would be good for diplomacy. Starship Voyager riding dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Chakotay, I mean, they're doing a lot of like personnel stuff too here. They're talking about who's going to, who's going to be right for the right positions. We've managed to find a replacement for the transporter chief. Bollocks. And Chakotay puts Torres up for chief engineer, much to Janeway's incredulity. 
uh, so much so that she changes the subject almost immediately. And that yeah. if you're if you're Chakotay in this moment, that it's never a good sign when the boss changes the subject from a thing that you wanted to talk about. <laughs> no, I mean I, another thing I kind of thought would be, would have been nice in the script was somebody giving voice to the idea that like part of what we are going to have to do is find a way to trust each other, and the idea that trust is partly extended and partly earned i think that he could have made a case at some point to her to just say like if you want me to be your first officer like part of that is like taking my recommendation seriously that's such an interesting observation like there's a there's a one-sided transaction happening here that I feel like could be equalized if Chakotay were like, you know, I'm starting to get a whiff of uh, <laughs> of a mutiny on board. Uh, I just thought right. I'd bring that to your attention. Uh, and also, I have an idea for who might be a good chief engineer. Like, like if that's yeah. brought together as a package, I think that's doing a lot of the work in the relationship. It's interesting that that, like... I like I'm never paranoid after that first scene that a mutiny is in you know happening somewhere in the background. Right. But anyways, um yeah, a lot of a lot happens in this scene. Tom Paris gets uh told that he's going to become like a a field medic trainee uh, and work with the EMH on learning how to do that. Uh Neelix volunteers his services as a cook. I can do some wonderful things with vegetables, Captain. <laughs> it's like so uh it's pretty major shit going on, but uh, they, the meeting gets cut short because a banger gets dropped on the ship. That's right. Uh, right outside is a time butthole. We know it's a time butthole because all the right words are said. Creating a temporal vortex. Time travel. <laughs> In describing it, it looks exactly like the one that the Fraser Crane ship emerged from on TNG. Yeah. It's got, it's got I really... that same makeup. It, it really, like, felt nostalgic in a way to look at this butthole. What if Bozeman's just start rocketing out of this thing? <laughs> what if all-time buttholes contain a Bozeman? And a Riker with a huge beard. Yeah. <laughs> who doesn't want to go back to his time. You don't know what it's like in our universe. They see a ship inside. It, it's so funny. Like, they're squinting at the ship in there as if enhance isn't a thing that they've ever done on Star Trek before. <laughs> I was yelling at the television. Somebody say zoom in. Word for this? Anyway, <laughs> they're like, we need to get a closer look and the only way we can do it is is via tractor beam. And except they yeah. can't use a real tractor beam. They need to they need to construct a subspace tractor beam, which is a Torres idea, which Lieutenant Carey begrudgingly agrees with. I love that all of the dialogue from Lieutenant Carey is like, I agree with with Torres. <laughs> she actually has really good ideas. <laughs> Could somebody with a light, the uh, thing away over my nose, can't come down here to engineering? Because I'm starting to swell up again. He just he's walking around like pinching it and and facing up <laughs> to keep it from so bleeding. And somebody's like, "Haven't you ever seen that GI Joe? You're supposed to lean forward so that the blood can clot." And he's like, oh, thanks. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. This is actually a moment where Chakotay kind of kind of steps in it because when they're trying to devise a, a solution to the let's get that ship in there problem, he radios yeah. he radios Torres instead of Carrie. And this is enough to have Janeway keep Chakotay after class. She uh, 
she pulls him into she pulls him off to the side and is pissed about this circumvention of rank she's like listen commander i know that you've got your engineer and i've got my engineer but we can't have dueling engineers then they're just going to be playing back and forth at each other it'll get more and more involved and uh, and sooner or later somebody's going to be you know shooting a bow and arrow at, at a hillbilly this argument they have is really interesting it's about rank versus ability this is one of the yeah. things that that made it impossible for me to function in in a normal workplace <laughs> because i always felt that my ability was greater than those of a higher rank <laughs> and so i was and so i was attitudinally punching everyone in the nose uh, all around me and you're like what punching up is supposed to be fine it's punching down that we're not supposed to do yeah. Yeah. Pretty interesting beef they're having here. But but Chakotay actually does an interesting bit of like show talking about show here. I have no intention of being your token Marquis officer. That word made me sit up in my seat a little bit because of what we know about the construction of the Chakotay character and yeah. his reason for being. That conversation I alluded to earlier about like the trust that Janeway will need to extend to the Mayquis is mm -hmm. the subtext of this scene. And I thought it was a great scene. I think like, like they do not resolve this conflict here. They don't agree at the end of the scene. And, and yet like, I feel like they are building respect for each other in this scene. They are working toward a working relationship still. And I I, I think it's another great... Like, I, I think it's a great Kate Mulgrew scene and a great Robert Beltran scene. It is a scene of power where one person has rank and another person is a minority. And that brings me to my second Temerian metaphor, <laughs> which goes... Janeway, her lippins on her stallions, running wild. <laughs> She's the hackman. Calm down, Mr. Hunter. I am calm. You don't appear to be calm. I mean, at least it wasn't Janeway. She finds Chakotay reading her Bible and questioning why part of it is underlined. And what's this? I am become death. The destroyer of worlds. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. In Six Bay, uh, Kess activates the EMH to do some light gardening and fertilizing. <laughs> and uh, God, he takes great umbrage with this. Yeah. Does not like being activated for a non-emergency. It's like when you call 911 and they're like, sir, a you know, a shopping bag blowing around on the highway is not considered a legitimate reason to call this number. Uh, he has a legitimate medical emergency of his own in this scene, and that is he has spontaneously become 10 centimeters shorter. About. Yeah. Dr. Shrinky Dink, they call him. He doesn't notice it, but he, like, Kess calls his attention, too, and he goes and runs a diagnostic on his laptop and sees that he has indeed shrunk. They tried doing this as if it was a thing that he felt, like he looks down and he sees two stumps instead of feet. <laughs> it just didn't play as well. 
I really, you can't see it in this scene, but as as this effect goes on, it is literally just a like a warp effect in in post production where they they squish him out. Right. <laughs> and I, I was like, I was watching this, and I was like, my parents wouldn't notice, you know, because yeah. when yeah. they got their first widescreen TV, they watched everything looking like this for a year before I came home from college and like fixed their settings. The EMH uh, has to call kim to open up a ticket but uh (laughs) they've got their hands full up on the bridge ben we're a little busy right now we'll get to it as soon as we can they're ready to deploy this tractor beam and uh it's a situation like the push pull of of both the anomaly and the beam create this tension right you want to you want to pull the other ship out, but what's happening is the tractor beam is pulling them toward it. And so they need to decide whether or not to kill the beam as they're using it. Yeah. It's a close call. I would really advise anybody who is inventing a tractor beam to make sure that it is really easy to turn off if you need to. Disengage the tractor beam. I can't shut it down. You can drop a rope if you, you know, if you throw a grappling hook on something and it's pulling you in, you can just Cut the rope. Yeah, you just shoot a rope. Shoot a yeah. couple ropes. Yeah, shoot shoot a couple ropes right on those nacelles, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you think that Carrie was gonna die here? Because there's at the very end they're like <laughs> they're like sure. we gotta figure out how to cut off the power to this thing, and Carrie's looking down at the instrument panel and he's like, Someone's gonna have to go in there and do it. And I fully expected like the the Geordie training program where he has to order someone to die. Like, this is it. Yeah. Which leads me to my third Tamarian metaphor, Ben. <laughs> okay, you're catching up. Which is Lieutenant Carey, his Spock box is waiting. Because I thought this was going to be his moment. Like, in dying, Carey would prove the greatness of a Starfleet to Torres, and that would straighten her up and fly her right because and also make the decision easy for the captain yeah only in his sacrifice would she rise to being qualified for that job there's no resolution to this it's literally like a captain i can shut it down but i'll have to get in there and physically cut the main power feed do it there are so many scenes in between this one and when we see carrie again i was like well eventually they're gonna cut to the scene where we're (laughs) scraping carrie off of a wall yeah, or the like, or the like funeral scene where hologram <laughs> Carrie is like looking around from crew member to crew member, telling them what yeah. he loved about them. Yeah, the Alana, uh, you didn't come here to make friends, and I, I, I respect your your gumption. Carrie's going to make a hell of a closed torpedo funeral. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about the the visual language of it, right, that suggests this, like. I don't think we're just making this up. No. You don't I, cut I, away from a dangerous scene and then leave us guessing. And then not address it, yeah. Yeah. You, you and I took the same thing away from, from this yeah. moment, and I was, I was shocked to see him still alive later. But yeah. uh, he, cut, he successfully cuts the, the tractor beam, and uh, one suggestion that Neelix has made is that like a nearby star system is inhabited by technologically adept people, and maybe they could go ask them for help. And so it looks like they're, you know, plan A isn't going to work. So plan B is going to be going and asking for help. So uh, they head that direction. But pretty soon it becomes clear that this space butthole is following them. Look, Captain, it's no use. You can't shake them. That's not the only thing following 
Janeway. Uh, How about this for a Temerian metaphor? Yeah. Your butthole always behind you. Nice. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> In a meeting between Torres and Janeway, they kind of post-game the whole beam situation. Yeah. And Janeway's like, look, you know what happened to Carrie, right? We're both guessing he made a great sacrifice here. That's what happened. <laughs> Right? I didn't hear anything about it, and it's been kind of an emergency. It's one thing after another, but I've been operating under the <laughs> assumption that Carrie is a grease mark on the floor of engineering. Torres is pre-defensive about what happened with the beam, and this pivots fairly elegantly into a job interview that Janeway is doing. She's murdocking Torres's record at her. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like one of those job interviews that Torres doesn't know is a job interview. Like there's there's a there's some feeling out happening here. Do you think you're ready? I'm I don't want to like pre pre-drag Voyager because it's a show that is just getting up on its feet. But this scene really made the case to me that there was something to the the crew doesn't have conflicts between each other thing of TNG, mm-hmm. which is like we're being pulled into a time butthole and we're going to like stop and have like some office politics right now. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this it's a this is a quark B story situation happening right here. A little bit. It's kind of a mismatch. I mean, you could see you could see where it matches. Yeah. But it's I think the it's scene is worth happening. Fit. It's 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 an order thing also. Yeah. It's that like I don't feel like we're out of danger. It's a track sequence thing. It just doesn't seem like when it's like, you know, bottom of the ninth, two batters on is when you you pull the guy on deck aside and go like, hey, uh, some of the other guys in the clubhouse uh, have some some major concerns about your attitude, you know? Right. Right. So their conversation gets interrupted. That was, by a, the, that was a metaphor. Was it Tamarian? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you're going to need credit for it if you're going to complete the assignment. Yeah, the the children of Tamar don't have baseball. I don't think so. I'm not going to count it. I've got four. I've got four hash marks written down here. I'm doing great. The EMH's ticket has been escalated to management because uh, <laughs> because when EMH is on the line with Janeway, he uh, continues his complaint, but also he discloses that he's not the only one experiencing weird symptoms on yeah. board. They don't get to interrogate this too much further because a banger uh, interrupts the conversation and Janeway leaves to the bridge without hanging up. This is a an episode that is replete with bangers interrupting conversations. But like, I thought that the symptoms of crew members, people having headaches and stuff, and the hologram not, uh, projectors not working perfectly stuff was so well set up in this episode. I think that it, like this stuff would have been much more a story or 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 seemed much closer to a story in TNG and there's subtlety to it you know like it's just kind of peppered in in a way that you can notice it and think about its potential story implications if you want but it's not banging you over the head these are i mean speaking of the bangers ben kim friedman is a is a director of many ds9 episodes and I read that she sent tape to the bridge crew and was like, look, episode two, replete with bangers. I want you to do it like this. Wow. And, and it was basically a how to bang video that, <laughs> cool. that she sent everyone. And that I think is why everything 
I I found all the all the bangers plausible in this episode. Yeah. I thought the whole bridge crew did a good job. There was one where um, Chakotay like falls over and almost hits his head on one of the banisters in the yeah. on the bridge, and it like I was like, oh no, he almost he almost bonked his noggin. And I'm, um, and then I had to remind myself, like, they didn't actually shake the bridge. Like, he, yeah. he like, was walking around in a still room and did that and sold it. And uh, it's a credit. It's a credit to Kim Friedman. Yeah, good job, Kim Friedman. Well, I've got to get that platinum, get that lodgement. <laughs> One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace. And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. 
stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that Latin word now. Are you planning a heist? Gold. So as you were saying, Ben, uh, the butthole is always behind you in real life and in this episode. Mm-hmm. Paris has confirmed it. They're back in the same place as when they started. That's not, it's a real, like, it made me think a lot of Nagilam. Like, is he back? Yeah. Is this him? It doesn't look unlike Nagilam out there. Yeah. And uh, that dovetails nicely into my fourth Tamarian metaphor. Ben. <laughs> wow. It goes like okay. this. The V cut by Nagilam. If they fuck, can he watch? <laughs> <laughs> That's solid. That, that's you, why you're pretty right, you know. You know what? You know that's what Nicky Lim's into. He's yeah. he's into blowing up brains and watching people fuck. I like to watch. Yeah, that was that was all he wanted in the whole world. Yeah, this is a real mind bender. Like the idea that there's two things that are that are true, right? Like they traveled. They really did. Yeah. The ship is saying that they moved. They've but, got the records of travel and they also have the star charts telling them they're yeah. exactly where they were. I know that this would be too derivative, but they don't drop a bois. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Before mm. leaving, they just yeah. depend on their own sensors. That would have been nice. I mean, I feel like if you introduce dropping a bois. An emergency buoy into the script then you probably have to spend three minutes of screen time having them go like the the bois is getting further away we're right on top with bois captain it is the stationary beacon we just released you must have come full circle sir janeway's great here she like she pauses the episode at this point she's like look we're gonna stay put uh, I want everyone to do their own book report about how things have gone up to this point. Yeah. And I want to read all those book reports at 1500 hours. Like, and then she's out of there. I I love that. Like she's, she's going to do her own study of the situation in a way that like Picard and Cisco would never, ever, ever do that. Yeah. You know? Picard would be like suggestions. Right. <laughs> He she's would never like, do his own work. She's like, I'm going to go fucking solve this problem by myself. <laughs> and that suggests a thing that happens later when uh, when Torres and Janeway are finishing each other's sandwiches in a meeting that they have later. Like, like her, yeah. her interest and excitement and problem solving is mirrored by other people in a way that makes you really like Captain Janeway. This is the second McLaughlin group. Issue two. And... Like right before it happens, there's a scene between Torres and Lieutenant Carey where Carey is like, just just so we're clear, I'm going to be in charge and you're going to sit in the chair behind me at this meeting. You better get used to it, Torres. (laughs) You're going to be taking orders from a voice that sounds like this. (laughs) And it's not my fault it sounds like this. It's your fault. Oh, shit. Uh, Breaking news. Ben, my my wife just texted me for the first time. We've been doing the show for 350-something episodes. Uh, my wife just texted me to say that I have a cocktail waiting for me upstairs. Wow, you better go get that cocktail. 
You have the con, Ben. I'm going to go <laughs> get that drink and bring it back down. Hell yeah. And then Ensign Jawline is just like, what? Oh, man. I wanted a cocktail. I pulled a double shift here. I'm standing on the bridge. I've got nothing to do. Everybody else has a cool job in this episode, and that guy gets a cocktail? Come on! And uh, Adam is back with his cocktail. Look at this. Wow, that is that is a beautiful pink drink. What are we drinking? This is a blood orange margarita. I don't know if you've wow. heard about the citrus in California. <laughs> this is a, it's a delight. Adam, since we moved to our house, we've had... I, I shit you not, eight different citrus trees gifted to us, and uh, and several more have been promised to us by various friends in a way where I'm I need to like start slow rolling our willingness to accept citrus trees. Wow, and I can't like, imagine what your backyard's going to be like in a year or two. I know it's crazy. Like I mean, like. One of the one of the things about living in in the Southland is that anytime you go over to somebody's house, they are trying to foist lemons on you or whatever it is they happen to be growing. Like it's almost a weed down here. Like oh, uh, we have three hundred limes that we had to pick this weekend. I, it would really help us out if you could take a hundred of them. And yeah, you know, you you try and do people those solids when you can. And like, I'm looking forward to a lifestyle where I don't have to buy citrus at the grocery store that often. Me too. For sure. But I also like... Your access to citrus is the only reason I seek to preserve a good relationship with you long term. (laughs) Wow. It's very hurtful, Adam. (laughs) I thought we had like a a whole thing here. Yeah, we're doing fine. We're in business with each other. That's okay. <laughs> Things are fine. Oh, okay. Uh, hey, where well, where anyways, are we in the show? Bolana crushes this McLaughlin group. Like, totally steals Carrie's thunder by saying, like, he, he has some good ideas, but the thing that he's suggesting is not going to work. And she's like, she's like pulling... A story and B story stuff together. She's like, the doctor is getting shrinky dink and people have headaches. And probably that has something to do with the fact that our sensors are telling us stuff that confuses us. And we can't get a clear signal from the other ship that's caught in this thing. Uh, what we got to do is uh, some kind of field geometry, et cetera, et cetera, that will let us clear up that signal because the thing we would do to fix the doctor is going to be the thing that we do to fix the whole situation. Carrie makes a critical error here because he suggests that a workplace meeting is something that anyone would want to attend (laughs) and invite someone with nothing to lose to one. And this is what makes... The moment Torres pulls down Carrie's pants and slings him in the balls, like (laughs) such a surprise to him. Like he's thinking about this in a Starfleet way and she's thinking about this in a job interview way. And (laughs) that is really galaxy brains him. That is a huge miscalculation for Carrie here. Speaking of entitled white guys making grave miscalculations tom paris is the guy at the meeting who doesn't understand what's going on who says let me get this straight and then 
says what he thinks is going on and everybody else laughs at him. So uh, the scene coincidentally is related to my fifth and final Temeria metaphor, Ben, and it goes like mm. this. Paris, his balls unkicked. Janeway, her pockets filled with quarters. <laughs> I felt Tom Paris here so much because he is like, he's giving voice to the everyman. And there is something so great about this performance. How could we have been seeing a reflection of something we hadn't even done yet? I feel like Robert Duncan McNeil has has lived this moment before. It's the only thing that explains the awareness that he goes through on his face about having a good idea. Like, this happens to me on the show all the time. <laughs> I start talking before I think about what I'm saying. And then as I'm saying something, I figure out my point, And then yeah. I become delighted uh, at my own resourcefulness in the moment. And these are the, these are the stages of improv that Robert yeah. Duncan McNeil is going through in this moment. And you see all of those expressions happen on his face. And by the time he ends on the period, he's like, he, he's so delighted. And he just can't understand why he too is in the ball kicking machine after this. He thought he did a great job. Am I making any sense here? No. But that's okay. You don't understand temporal mechanics, Tom. Try to keep up. Janeway is so condescending to him. This was not a good Janeway moment, I think. Like, she basically pats him on the head and uh, and gives him a lolly and sends him on his way. She pivots from a bad moment, though, to a great moment. Because the end of this scene is her and Torres getting, like, ultra nerdy about what the solution to this problem is going to be. And then they are, like, running out onto the bridge, like messing with stuff and clearing up signal and they get the they get the uh the distress call from the other ship finally and uh it's not a surprise to me because i could fully hear kate mulgrew's voice in the original transmission but uh, a big surprise to all of them that it's just their original transmission to the other ship I could tell that uh, Brandon Braga wrote this after coming back from a vacation because in the scene previous, Kim is stricken by a headache and Tuvok <laughs> takes him to, uh, to Six Bay. You're thinking, oh my God, I hope Kim is okay. And then when they emerge from the staff meeting on the bridge, there's Kim. Guess he's fine. Absolutely no reference to his affliction whatsoever. There are three things to remember about being a Starship captain. On the bridge, they got to process this audio. So they run it through a couple of filters and what they hear is Janeway. And what we get is the second moment of unintentional physical comedy in this episode because we're on the view screen and then Tom Paris pops up into frame from below. It's the Voyager. <laughs> it's us. It is a delight. I really like this bridge and I like the lighting on this show a lot. I feel like they found a way to kind of split the difference between the dark moodiness of Deep Space Nine and the like very flat lighting of TNG. Like I feel like we're back on a Starfleet vessel, but not like we are in the easiest time right. of our lives, the way the TNG universe was sort of meant to feel. The idea at this point is to shoot warp particles into the singularity. Yeah, like the, they, they 
the 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 like speaking of metaphors adam they come up with this metaphor of being of sitting at the bottom of a lake that's frozen over and seeing your own reflection up in the ice above you and this is uh this is torres's metaphor and if if they got into this lake they they must be able to get out by the same hole that they entered through and so they're looking for like a crack in the I guess they call it the event horizon, right? Yeah, just gives me the chills. They're hoping that they can go back through it and Sam Neill won't be on the other side pulling his eyeballs out. I feel like you need Torres to use this metaphor to obscure the unintentional metaphor happening all around us, which <laughs> which is they throw back to Paris and Paris is like, so when a thing is too small and you need to put a thing into it, there are a lot of <laughs> methods you can use in order to uh, accommodate the thing going inside. <laughs> All through the last half of this episode, I was like, man, if we wanted Adam Raguzia to make just a super horny version of the Janeway song, I thought like, the same this thing. episode is all we need. That's it. <laughs> it is everywhere. <laughs> oh, it's too small. It must have collapsed since we first passed through it. We found the crack. That's the important thing. They're putting things into other things. They're, they're, they're using decions, which uh, sounds like a crossover between a dick and a tachyon. Right. They they fly a bunk bed into the space anomaly to to like find this crack and widen it because it started to like patch itself up since they punched through. And crucially, it's Janeway and Torres that that are on board the shuttle. And this is yeah. a great moment for Chakotay too. You can tell he's Mayquis because he doesn't even think about stopping the captain from going on a dangerous mission. Yeah, he's like, go for it. And you I think he's you. got his eyes on the chair also. Yeah. Do you think Janeway's chair has a nubbin? <laughs> if it's there, I, I don't think I could ever find it. If it's alluded to, that would just be too much entendre in this episode. <laughs> like, it would just collapse under the weight of the entendre. <laughs> the entendre, too much for this episode. It's basically an exposition mission for Janeway and Torres. Yeah. Where Janeway tells her that actually that asshole professor who was a huge dick to you uh, actually admired your potential. So maybe you could start to do the same. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, recent events and uh, pop culture and my own life have made me uh, especially sensitive to this. But the idea that Torres was like at Starfleet Academy getting in fights with everyone she came across and people going like, wow, she's really got pluck. I admire her. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, uh like I, it rubbed me the wrong way. Like I, like I really think that like we as a culture need to move away from tolerating people flying off at the handle when they don't get their way, and then facing no consequences when they hurt other people. But the upshot of this scene is basically like Torres did not imagine herself to be fitting in well at Starfleet Academy and dropped out because she was always in conflict with other people there and what those people thought of her was that she was a she had a lot of talent and they were really looking forward to making an officer of her because they thought she was going to be really great i was very surprised at the conclusion of this scene where we get a two ship monty moment where they need to decide which ship to return the shuttle to at the end there's not yeah. even a whiff of this being a potential problem when they leave the ship that they're on. 
No, it's a it's it's a total twist, and I mean, the issue is like they have to pick one. Like they, they don't have anything in the sensors to go on to like decide which ship is the is the correct one. And if they don't pick right, they're stuck in the butthole. Right, fifty fifty chance that they're stuck at the butthole, Adam. If I had a nickel, then what? For every time I had a fifty fifty chance of being stuck in a butthole. I, th- I feel like that's more of a special occasion thing. <laughs> oh, well. So it's much yeah. less of a coin flip in my life. Your life is different than mine. <laughs> they get back. Uh, they choose right. They choose correctly. Uh, but this is after they watch a different shuttle enter the wrong USS Voyager. And then they just melt in a <laughs> extremely painful looking scene of violence at the end of what I thought was kind of a family film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, pretty surprising. Right? And you just have to close your eyes to make it not happen to you? I don't get it. Yeah. So uh, they pick the right ship, but the problem is this hole is, is small, and it's getting smaller. Now, how do we make it bigger? Put a wedge in it and force it open. And they, they, they whip pan over to Janeway, and she is like, ram it in there. <laughs> <laughs> and so they do. Yeah, did you see uh, before we get through the uh, the hole in the in the nebula? Did you notice when they flew the shuttle into the shuttle bay on Voyager? They showed the reflection on the shuttle's windshield of the the shuttle bay doors opening and accepting them. Pretty nice. It was a total like subtle special effect. It didn't need to be there. I thought it was so great. It really puts a nice fit and finish on this show. It's sort of like. In, in older television shows, uh, when they do driving around in cars scenes, like the the windshield is the thing that that spoils the effect because there's no reflection at all in yeah. like an episode of Roseanne or right. whatever. <laughs> but in episodes made more recently, like they're mirroring the reflection in the windshield and they're making it semi-transparent and they're selling the effect of the drive in that very same way. And it's those little details that, like all of the little details serve the effect in total in a way that makes you believe it. And the like capabilities that they have on this show, you know, it's not that much later than TNG, but it's it's really visible how different it is. And I was reading a thing about like how the bridge, like all of the different monitors that they have on the bridge, like they have to like play what is happening on those monitors in sync every single time. So like making, you know, it's not just, it's not just lighting that they're changing for red alert. It's like, it's lighting plus computer screens and like playing tapes and stuff. And it's like, pretty primitive by contemporary standards but uh, like when they were making this show this stuff was super duper impressive the one moment in this scene that kind of bumped me was like when they land the shuttle in the cargo bay Janeway mentions like you know the ship is real because of the bump and then they get up as soon as the shuttle lands I just hate that shit like sit down (laughs) until you're at the gate yeah, wait until the fucking little ding goes off and the flight attendant says. It's you can so get aggravating. God. So, so uh, the ship <laughs> shoots through the gap, Ben. It just explodes through this thing. And uh, a lot of people think it's just pee, but I think those people are jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Mission accomplished, Ben. Uh, Chakotay in the button on the episode walks Torres to engineering where she is now chief engineer. Yeah. She's she, uh, it's I thought like the way they walked in, he says like uh like this is your new crew, and I thought that the camera was gonna swing around and everybody was gonna be like lined up in, you know, in two rows so that she could inspect her troops and it's no, nah, they're just working. <laughs> it's the other Torres in there too, and that's how you know that they actually landed on the wrong Voyager. <laughs> that she punches this prime Torres in the nose and you're like, that that's my Torres. <laughs> That's my tourist. This film for a live studio audience. <laughs> I mean, there's a pretty cool scene between her and Carrie. I've been told that my nose is going to be fully healed in like a week. <laughs> uh, Carrie, his humiliation well suppressed. <laughs> there you go. Does that check all the boxes? I Did got we do to five. It? I made it. Congratulations. Uh, you didn't study for the test and you still passed. The Benjamin story, R. Harrison story. Story of my life. Why should I try in school? <laughs> I don't need to. <laughs> this is a great moment between her and Carrie. And it's not, it doesn't feel super contrived. Like, I feel like my sensitivities are very receptive to bullshit like this. Like, yeah. it's unearned. But I feel like Carrie is begrudging enough in this scene to where, like, there's nothing he can do about it. So he's going to be a supportive employee. Like, this felt real to me in a in a good way. I, I totally agree. I really like this scene. And to the extent that this is an episode about how Chief Engineer Torres gets to Chief Engineer... I think they really sold it. And I love the little coda where Chicote finds Janeway up on the second level of engineering, just kind of like making sure that this is working out because she has a vested interest in this working out. And I love that the show knew to like make her very interested in making sure that that is the case. Right. Chicote asks Janeway, hey, Janeway, how's the peeping? <laughs> How's the peeping, Janeway? Yeah. You know, you can't have a first season episode of any Star Trek series without a slide whistle ending. Yeah. And, and, and we sure do get one here when uh, the, the EMH gives us that by popping in a VHS tape of Dorf Practices Medicine. <laughs> we get the full body view of his condition. And uh, the condition his condition is in is dwarf. <laughs> Did you... I, this may just be like the fact that we're looking at like SD television and my ability to like see weirdness in it is totally degraded by higher resolution shows that we have now. But when Tom Paris walks in to like work on this, it almost looked like they shot him against a green screen. Hmm. I don't know why. It's been a way like he they separated him from the background. It just like I was like, huh. Almost looks like they didn't shoot that in the same room or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Totally believable effects work on this EMH. Like <laughs> really that great. They stuff. definitely shot against the green screen. <laughs> yeah. Well, Adam, did you like this episode?
Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. I like the episode far more than that scene. Like, not even that scene could ruin the episode for me. <laughs> yeah, I like the two. I, uh, it's, it's a nice mix of TNG nostalgia and new Voyager problem solving. Like, like the kinds of problems that you could never have on TNG being solved in this episode. But against a pretty, like, familiar type of Star Trek storyline and... I really liked that about it. I thought that was a really smart way to do an episode two for a series. Yeah, they really, t- like that Nagilam episode is so foundational in so many ways in Star Trek. And like for them to construct something out of the suggestions in that story, uh, completely unrelated to horror or or the kind of mysteries there to solve, but instead turning it into kind of a technical exercise and a yeah. personnel exercise, put a nice spin on it. Well, do you want to put a nice spin on a couple of Priority One messages, my friend? That's more of an emotional exercise to me, but I'm here mm. for it. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Well, Adam, our first Priority One message is of a personal nature, and it's from Robert DeSoto, and it's to all the friends. Captain? Goes like this. Unless this somehow stops Ben and Adam from getting money, the attack from Planet Tompkins should not be tolerated. Set phasers to stun for now, but subspace messages from Planet Tompkins should not be downloaded to your electric newspapers. I think this might be suggesting that the official Star Trek podcast, uh, Star Trek, the pod directive, is somehow an enemy of ours. Uh, that's oh. not the case. Yeah, they can coexist peacefully in a universe with us. Yeah, I, I, I won't brook any antipathy towards PFT, that's for sure. Uh, I've I've uh, had the pleasure of shaking PFD's hands once or twice, and he's a perfectly lovely guy, and I, uh, I wish that show the best. Yeah. I mean, look, Robert DeSoto's our captain. Yeah. So we've got to listen. Yeah. Much much like Lieutenant Carey, we, uh, you know, we're not going to second guess an order. Orders is orders, Adam. Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is from Ash, and it is to myself and anyone who needs to hear it. <laughs> the message goes like this. You are safe. You are loved. You are making yourself healthier. You have everything you need to love yourself. You are a good person. Your emotions are healthy, and you express them in healthy ways. You deserve peace. You are resilient. Believe in yourself. Live long and prosper. And then in parentheses, it says, play the Ensign Road Drop here for no reason. Hell yeah, Ash. Yeah. That rules. So Ash just pimped me into kind of a motivational speech. Yeah. uh, That I'll be putting out in a series of... uh, Eight compact discs. Uh, it's just me saying those things, and I'm calling it 
personal greatest generation power. <laughs> wow. Well, that'll be 10 times as successful as we ever were. I know. But uh, if people want to make us more successful and want to get a message out there, they can head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And we really appreciate it because it will help us stay out of publishing self-help CDs. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the U.S.S. Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the U.S.S. Voyager. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! As soon as I saw Tom Paris popping into frame but from below, that's it. <laughs> that's all I needed to see. I stopped I stopped recruiting my Shimodas at that point in the episode. <laughs> because there's something so silly about directing a person into an unnatural thing. And yeah. whether you specialize in corporate like me or or music video like you when you're watching a thing it's imperceptible it doesn't look silly like it's right. just a thing that happens in a music video or or a star trek episode like someone stands up into frame and addresses to camera basically and that's just a natural thing that happens but i've been ruined by production <laughs> in such a way where I remember what it was like to explain to someone what I would like them to do, and I remember how silly it was coming out of my mouth. Like, <laughs> like if you can, can you just stand up into frame and say this? It's gonna, it's gonna feel dumb, but I promise you, it's not. It's not going to be on camera. <laughs> and this is one of those moments where I just thought about all those times when the explanation does not serve the the thing that you get on screen, and that's yeah. hard. Tom Paris is also my drunk Shimoda in this episode. And it's not for that standing up into frame, though I did find that delightful. It's for his uh, his performance in the in the McLaughlin group when he tries to kind of recapitulate what everybody has been saying. I loved it because it was like like I think you're absolutely right. Like the viewer really needs that moment to like the techno babble has gotten so thick and frothy at that point because the captain and Torres are just nerding the hell out. It's a Santorum amount of techno babble. It's a, it, it's absolutely It's a that. frothy mix of techno babble and regular dialogue. <laughs> and, and so he's there to like, he's there to like bring it back to human level, but also like the, the humiliation of uh, everybody else in the room being like, come on, man, we're way past this. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Wow. Double Shimoda this time. Double Shimoda. I love it. Uh, Tom Paris out to an early lead. <laughs> ben, I've gone on over to the uh, Game of Buttholes, Will of the Caretaker, to see that our runabout is on square 21. Why don't you tell us what the next episode of Star Trek Voyager is going to be. Next episode of Voyager is season one, episode three, Time and Again. When Paris and Janeway are sent back in time, they must decide whether to violate the Prime Directive by warning residents of a planet facing annihilation. Seems pretty early to be doing a time travel episode, Ben. I, I don't, I don't think I like episode. it. <laughs> I think you got to save this for the end of the first season at least. Yeah. Too early. I think... Uh, I think 
Brandon Braga has a bit of a reputation for loving him a time travel storyline. So yeah. uh, that's that's my uh, that's my sense of things. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's absolutely true, but well, uh, he's he's probably a person who's who's motivated to catch up on lost time, giving. <laughs> How much vacation he likes to take. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Well, our runabout on square 21 only has a banger out ahead of it that it could hit. But I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone and see how we will be doing the next episode. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Adam, I rolled a four, jumping us over the banger. We're on square 25. And uh, it's going to be a regular episode next week, which will be really easy for me to remember. Oh, yeah. That's great. (laughs) I I think that'll really help you out a lot. You know what else helps us out a lot, Adam, is all of the great friends of DeSoto who head to MaximumFun.org slash join and support the show on a monthly basis. We also got to thank Bill Tilly, the director of social media for Uxbridge Shimoda Incorporated. Uh, he uh, runs the at greatest trek accounts on instagram and twitter they're really fun to watch yeah he's great great hire by us good job by us let's pat ourselves on the back here the music you've been hearing on the show created by the great adam ragusia uh who was guilt tripped into it (laughs) uh by us and also the many friends of desoto who uh love and appreciate his work Uh, if you'd like to see more of it he's got a hit youtube channel full of great recipe making and uh also getting pretty ripped yeah he's He's looking good he is a fitness enthusiast of the highest order uh one speaking of that one thing i've noticed uh a lot of uh a lot of jim shimoda hashtags on the peloton guys oh nice very happy to see uh people turn out over there uh, you're uh you're you're riding uh you're riding electronic bicycles huh i am yeah, wow. it's been it's been keeping me sane. That's good. I should yeah. I should try and do something to keep me sane. You should. <laughs> that uh, sounds great. You should get a TV bike, man. It's uh <laughs> it's given me something to put my angst into. Well, uh, I'll think about that. But uh, in the meantime, well, I'll be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the Greatest Generation Voyager, where we're time traveling earlier than expected which is kind of ironic given that it's like a relative time yeah it doesn't really matter yeah like what like time travel it's like doesn't matter when it happens it's like when you time travel in the first season of your science fiction series and you do it (laughs) too early doesn't really matter MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.